Hi there, this is Curtis Dieter. Like all of you, I am many things. A husband, a father, and a son. I'm a hard worker and a dreamer, a writer and a publisher, but underneath everything, I am made of rust and glass. You are listening to Proud to Be of Rust and Glass, a podcast series of conversations surrounding the creative journey and all the good and ill associated with making great art in the Midwest. It is the human side of colors brushed onto canvas, of words scribbled between covers, of sweat and grit bled into telling our stories. Real stories about real people doing what we love best, making great art. Hi there. Welcome to today's episode of Proud to Be of Rust and Glass, where I have the pleasure of speaking with E. Anderson, who writes as E. M. Anderson. She is a queer, neurodivergent writer and the author of The Remarkable Retirement of Edna Fisher. Her work has appeared in Wildbud Press's Anthology from the Depths, S.J. Whitby's Awakenings, Acute Mutants Anthology, and Dark Horses, the magazine of weird fiction, with more forthcoming publications on the horizon. E, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So I definitely want to dive in and talk about your book a little bit today, which my wife did actually recently purchase at our author fair. She was very excited to stop by Gathering Volumes specifically to get your book. Excellent. But like with most writing careers, yours certainly didn't start out with a finished, polished novel, did it? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about when you started writing? Yeah, so I often get asked if this is my first book, and it is my first published book, but it is way not my first book. I've been writing seriously, by which I mean more or less consistently and with an aim of actually improving since I was about 12. So about as seriously as you can be doing something since you're 12. <laughs> so yeah, I I can't really remember why I started. I come from a family of readers. My grandfather was a writer. It was, I don't know, it was just something that like suddenly I started doing it and I have just been doing it all the time ever since. It takes up 90% of my brain space. (laughs) So I did a lot of um, the stuff I wrote when I was really young is not technically fan fiction, but you can definitely tell where like it's painfully obvious that like the first fantasy novel, which was like 50 pages, was based on like Lord of the Rings. And there was another one that was very clearly inspired by like Pirates of the Caribbean. So you can see like where the early influences came from, but it's gotten obviously like more original uh, since then and definitely lots better. Like even something that I just wrote a couple years ago would not be as good as something I can write now. Yeah, it's, it's funny to see how that evolves. And I think that's a pretty common story for writers. I know I started writing, I, I, I used to play a lot of video games, computer games, and one of those happened to be StarCraft. And a lot of my early writing was StarCraft <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> it's awful. I've read it. I'm sure, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gone back and read any of your like 12-year-old self's I work. I did but... a live tweet okay. of my first. It was very terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's important, though, to, to sort of find those influences and try to mock those voices because that's that's part of the learning process right it's how you build your own voice and it is actually funny because even looking at something from 20 years ago i'm like huh there are some things in here that i still do today like i would get a little mad if i found a line that was like kind of good that felt like something i would write today i was like this is all supposed to be garbage why is there something (laughs) i would have written this line right now you know 
those little gems you find along the way. Yeah. So since since fan fiction, since Pirates of the Caribbean fan fiction, essentially, <laughs> how have you evolved as a writer? So, well, obviously I've gotten loads better um, from just writing all the time and consuming a lot of media. Back then, I was more likely to write like secondary world fantasy um, and a little higher fantasy. Again, like Lord of the Rings was mm-hmm. um, a pretty big influence. So, and that's very obvious from the early things. Now I'm much more interested in kind of playing around in the contemporary world. So like my debut novel, Remarkable Retirement of Edna Fisher, is it's I mean it's set in the real world more or less except that magic exists just openly but like they go to Detroit they go to California and whatever and that is the kind of thing that 20 years ago like I would have been like no fantasy goes in a fantasy world why would I do that Mm -hmm. and now I just love putting magic in the real world and so that's a big way I have kind of different focuses like as a 12 year old even though I was not interested in romance at all as a writer, I was like, romance. Everything is going to be big romantic arc. And I still like doing that, but found family is much more central to me now okay. that I really like to focus on those relationships. And then just as I have become more aware of my own identity um, and embraced my identity as a queer neurodivergent person, my books have gotten a lot more, like you can tell that, like you can see a shift where I really was like, this is who I am. And so this is who my characters are going to be as well. You're writing a little bit more true to yourself, yeah. maybe focusing a little less on the world building and more of the, the characterization. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and the authenticity of it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So as you've grown as a writer, people see a book and they think, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. This is great. This person all hail, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's not always easy, right? I mean, it's it's very, yeah. very rarely easy, actually. I yeah. might even go as far to say. What have been some of your biggest struggles from getting at from you know, a 12 year old writing to having this published novel. Yeah. So one thing I think a lot of people who are not writers maybe don't realize is that like every book is like, like you're starting over. Like every single time I go back to draft something new, I'm like, I think I have forgotten how to write a book actually. And then I go to revise it. I'm like, okay, I remembered how to draft. (laughs) We've got a draft. It's very bad and it's fine because that's a draft. But then I go to revise it. I'm like, oh my God, I've forgotten how to revise a book. I don't remember. Or I remember there was one story maybe no I guess it was like almost 10 years ago now ew okay um there was one story like almost 10 years ago and prior to that like I had really kind of struggled with description and in that story I like figured it out I had all these beautiful descriptions and then I went to write remarkable retirement and I was like I have forgotten how to write descriptions (laughs) so like every book is just its own struggle sort of like I love doing it but it is like every single book you're like I've forgotten everything I ever know Am I sure I've been writing for 20 years? I think I may have just actually started. So that's just kind of a general struggle. Craft-wise, plotting, always. I struggle to plot. Remarkable Retirement, the first draft was 160,000 words. There was a reason for that, (laughs) but it was very, very long, and it just kind of went off in whatever random directions I thought about. And then later, I had to, like, rein it in and be like, okay what is like a cohesive plot you know how can i still get them to these big points i want to hit but without having them wander all over the place and circle back to places they've already been and that's a constant i always i always struggle with plotting i'm like why can't the characters just wander around bonding with each other why do i have to have a plot but i do so i still continue to fight with that i love it there there was very successful author i think it might have been gaiman who said something very similar to what you just brought up as sort of the first draft is you're you telling yourself the story and sort of dumping everything on and then after that you sort of got to 
go back and figure out what's actually important, don't you? Yeah, I think you're right that that's him. I've seen that quote before. And actually, I do think, so one thing that's not a struggle for me is um, voice, which I think is a struggle for many people just because it's like sort of amorphous and difficult to define. And then some people try to claim that like, oh, you either you have it or you don't, you can't learn it, which I think is false. But I think that because I very much do take that approach of the first draft is just me telling the story to myself. I will just write things however I want to. And so I end up sometimes with very ridiculous lines that sometimes <laughs> make it into the final book anyway, because I think they're funny and sometimes very beautiful lines. And, you know, it, it's just things that if I were constraining myself more and I were focused on like an external audience at that point, I probably wouldn't be as voicey because I'd be holding myself back more. And I just don't. I'm like full speed ahead. Let's just go and see what happens. I love it. It's easier to, to take away usually than it is to add to, to a quote yeah. unquote first time finished product. It's, yeah. you know, it's really difficult to be like, I need to put an extra paragraph here. Or mm-hmm. I need to add a chapter here. So growing up as a writer early on, you said you, 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 you grew up in a household of, of readers. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, a strong writing community then? Or is that just something recently that uh, has come into your life. It's been a long time that I've had writing community, but not that long. I do remember when I was probably about 12 that my dad tried to help me find some Yahoo groups back <laughs> in the day. That did not go well. Like, we found some, but it was bad. Like, to be fair, this was partially me because I was 12 and I was like, fantasy. So they need to talk in like these and those and things like that. And like someone gave me unsolicited feedback was like, it's not good just because you're ripping off Shakespeare. And like even at 12, I was like, well, you know, people really used to talk like this, right? Like, I'm not just like, (laughs) what do you mean? I've never even read any Shakespeare. I'm 12 and I'm not interested in that. So so early attempts at finding like more of an online community did not work out. But um, so I kind of stumbled around online writing communities for a while. I eventually found some really good ones. Um, So when I was about 19, I found um, youngwriterssociety.com which if I may plug that very quickly, it's still going today. It's a smaller community. It's like 50,000 members or so geared toward 13 to 18, although a lot of us who were there younger are still there like as moderators and things. So that's a really lovely place to just meet other young writers and to post for feedback and things like that. And that was really helpful to me, um, even even already having written for a while. It was very helpful to me to just have that feedback and kind of think critically about other people's writing, which in turn helps you think more critically about your own writing. And then uh, in terms of in-person writing groups, really not until I moved to Toledo. And when I first moved to Toledo, like I did not have any friends here because I don't know how to make friends, <laughs> especially outside of like school. Like once you graduate from college, you're like, well, that was how I made school for like the last 20 or yeah, how I made seemed- friends for the last 22 years. It seems as we grow into quote-unquote adulthood, whatever that yeah. means, making friends is not always the easiest because we're working, or, right. we're, we're, we're doing this, we're doing that, we have all these responsibilities. Yeah, and, and like hopefully you can make some good work friends, but right. not always, and it depends on your job and like who right. you work with and various <laughs> other things. So yeah, when I first moved here, I was like, I don't know how to meet people, I don't know how to make any friends, and then that November, it was National Novel Writing Month, which is every November, I'd been doing that for like a year or two. I was going to UT at the time and there were just signs for like, hey, we're going to have some write-ins this month for National Novel Writing Month. You know, come show up at this time in this place and you can come write with us. And so like that is how I made friends was by just joining other writers to do some writing. And that's how I made friends in Toledo. And so I'm still friends with some of those people that I went to school with at UT and met there. I still get feedback from some of them. One of them gave me like a list of agents when I was first querying to just 
start with. My agent that I have was not on that list and she wasn't actually even um, an agent at the time yet. But but yeah, it's been I mean, it's been so helpful to me to just have those connections and that feedback and that influence and the just the sense of community and the sense that like I think writers like we're all a little bit weird, but we're kind of a little bit weird in the same just way. Bit, yeah. yeah, just a little bit. So I think when we all when we get together, like we just recognize each other. We're like, hey, you're weird in the same mm-hmm. way. I'm weird. Let's go be weird together. You know? Oh, yeah. And writing can be, you know, it is at its core a very lonely exercise you sit in front of a notebook or you sit (laughs) at a computer you sit in your own mind for hours at a time and that's one of the beautiful things about the internet especially and the online communities Mm -hmm. that we have now is is to be able to find those people who are doing the same thing as you and be able to share in that and and grow and build together yeah so it's very cool that you're able to find those communities here locally Mm -hmm. and they are I've not really spent a lot of time with my writing outside of myself but I have for example I joined the Toledo Nano group yeah. last year a couple times uh, managed to get out for, to a couple live events and it was it was a lot of fun yeah yep we're um, planning planning for this year now that it's um, it's uh, getting ready for it so. very cool I'm hoping yeah. to have the one I started last year done by the time this year comes <laughs> around but that's like a month so we'll, we'll see how that goes so let's talk the remarkable retirement of Edna Fisher how did you go from your initial idea to finish a novel? Right. So it was a process. I worked on this one for a long time. And I mean, there are some people who write very quickly, and I can be one of those people, but this book did not go that way. So the initial idea actually came from a tweet from this account called Brooding YA Hero. And it's a satirical account, like lovingly poking fun at some YA tropes, like how there's always the broody hot love interest <laughs> by this author, Carrie Andy Riccio, who now has a book out based on the Twitter account. And this tweet said, it's amazing how many prophecies involve teens. You'd think they'd pick more emotionally stable people with more free time, like grandmas. So I saw that on the internet somewhere like on Tumblr and I was like that's a fun idea that'd be really fun to write about and I just saved it I have like a writing inspo folder on my desktop where I just save anything on the internet that I'm like that would be a cool writing idea one day maybe and so then on Young Writers Society periodically they have this event called Last Man Standing so it's exactly what it sounds like it's a Last Man Standing style contest but it's a writing contest so every week you have to submit like a thousand words minimum and if you miss the weekly cutoff then you're out And so I needed a new idea for Last Man Standing, like round three or whatever round I was in. Um, So I went to my desktop and that is the post that jumped out at me. I was like, yes, I'm going to write about this. And this little old lady just popped into my head and she was like, hello, I'm here. I'm ready for you. (laughs) I was like, awesome. So I drafted that. I said earlier the first draft was 160,000 words. That is because I drafted it over 72 weeks. (laughs) We went so from like February of 2017 to I think July of 2018, a thousand words a week, or I think I did like 1500 words a week. And then toward the end, the creator was like ready to start a new round. So she started upping the word count to pressure us to drop out. Um, And the last week, the word count was the minimum word count was 20,000 words. Me and the other person who were still in both hit that and smashed right through it. Like, I think I wrote like 32,000 words. It is the most words I've ever written in one (laughs) week. I finished the first draft because at that point I was just like ready to be done. I was like, okay, this has been fun, but like I'm over it. And after 72 weeks of going head to head with. Yeah, with various people and trying to. Right. Yeah. I was like, all right, we're good. I just want it to be done. So and then the creator was like, fine, you both win. And (laughs) um, And so that was done. And my first draft was done. And then I revised several times. Um, from 2018 to 2020 
again, like just trying to make it more cohesive, trying to cut it down because you cannot query with no previously published books at 160,000 words. Agents are going to no. look, especially if it's not epic fantasy. Right. And even epic fantasy. That's I, still a bit of a stretch. Yeah. That's a thick, that's a thick uh, Probably yeah. like 120,000 would be okay. So that was my, actually my goal was 120,000. But because it's contemporary fantasy, I was like, mm, the closer I can get to like 100,000, mm-hmm. the better. That is where it's at. It was published at like 99,000. So we did it. But yeah, it took several rounds of like big revisions, lots of line edits. Um, And then in the meantime, I started doing research on agents. And then I queried for two years and got lots of, um, we love this, but it's not marketable. And I was like, great. Uh, And then actually, um, I submitted to my publisher because I had a friend who had a friend who was publishing with them and really liked them. And I like went to their website and looked at their books and they had some really beautiful like book covers. And they also published in a hardcover, which even like not all big publishers do that for every book. So the fact that a small publisher was like, yeah, you can have a hardcover book. I was like, I would like a hardcover book. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I submitted to them and they were like, hell yeah, we want this. Um, And so then from 22 to April of 23, I worked on that with them, you know, worked on book cover design, worked on edits. Um, my editor was fantastic. She really helped make it just like more of what it already was and like more of what I wanted it to be, which is the ideal editor really. So yeah, so it was, I mean, it was like six years um, in the making. It was of, So definitely not a wake up and they hear No, the yeah, not, not a fast draft. <laughs> I do sometimes fast draft, but like the drafting and then the revisions took a really long time. Like everything took a very long time. Um, okay. relatively speaking and that cover did turn out beautiful it's 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 a coat of arms and you can see edna fisher holding a sword looking out over the city there's a dragon flying overhead they did it like you said they did a beautiful job with it yeah i just love like it feels like a classical fantasy cover mm-hmm. but then it's like but there's an old lady on it so it <laughs> also gets it like what's different about it there's a knitting needle very prominently <laughs> she's got a cane with her like it's i i love how it turned out it's so great so speaking of old lady, I mean, she's the main character. Tell us a little bit about Edna Fisher. Yeah. So she's um, she's a knitting enthusiast. That's like her natural state of being. Like anytime she's not doing anything in particular, she's knitting. Can't take it personally. She just needs something to do with her hands. <laughs> she aggressively adopts every young person who comes her way. She's like, you don't have a grandma? I'm your grandma now. Like that's her, that's almost her whole personality is she's just like, I see that you're alone. Well, not anymore because now you have me. Which is personally my favorite kind of person because I am an introvert and I'm very awkward and I like it when people just adopt me and they're like, hey, you're my friend now. When they're, when they're welcoming and right. they make it pain-free to, to, yeah. to be in their presence. Yeah, they and, just make it yeah. very clear that they want you around and that just helps me a lot. And so it was very, like, a great joy to me to um, write a character who was just like that. And she's very ride or die. Like, once she adopts you, like, you're hers. Like it or not, she's your grandma now, <laughs> which is great. Um, she's she's I mean, she's older, so she's she can be a little clueless about some things, but she's always happy to learn. So she is like she's bad with technology. And that's not really because she's old. That's because I am bad with technology. Um, it's hard not to put a little piece of yourself in this. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. She is certain Sometimes parts of me. <laughs> right. And, and that's just one part. So she really doesn't do you know she's she's very like stereotypical grandma where she would like she'd probably like comment on your facebook post in all caps like love you sweetie you know like that'd be her (laughs) trying to do facebook if she had facebook which she doesn't so yeah she's like very bad at technology um she's very accepting of there are a lot of uh queer people in the story and and she even has a moment where she's like oh well maybe that identity has something for me actually and it doesn't get explored because she has other stuff going on but the moment is there and I like to think that after the story she gets to explore it more but like one of the characters at one point 
says, like, you know, I'm ace. And she just thinks of a deck of cards. She's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then the character explains and she's like, oh, OK, that's all right. Cool. So she's she doesn't always understand, but she's very accepting. Uh, and then kind of a quirky, more world building thing about her is that um, she has handkerchief magic. So everybody in this world has magic, whether they've ever tried to use it or not. Okay. And so if you are a human and you've never like really intentionally tried to use it, your ma- natural magic will manifest in mundane ways. And hers is anytime she needs a handkerchief, she can reach into her purse and pull one out like a magic trick, but it's actual magic. So she has a different handkerchief in every scene. She never questions where they come from, but you do find out in the book that like that's probably just her natural magic at work, and she's just never made that connection, which was also a great joy to me. I had so much fun just coming up with different handkerchiefs for her to pull out of her handbag. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that becomes sort of her. So you said it's contemporary fantasy. Is it humorous contemporary fantasy, or, or what sort of, if somebody were to read it, what could they expect? Yeah, so I do still say that it is humorous, but it did get sadder with every sub draft as I revised it. There's lots of unresolved trauma, but it is very warm and humorous. It's not a dark story at all, I would say. But there is, I mean, she is, when she becomes the chosen one, she learns that she's supposed to stop um, this sorcerer from destroying uh, an organization of dragon fighters that her son was a part of, and he died as part of that organization. So, like, there's just lots of, like, kind of angst in the background Mm -hmm. that she has kind of a tragic backstory. Her, like, teenage companion, who kind of becomes a surrogate granddaughter to her, like, lost her sister um, in one of the sorcerer's attacks. You know, her her other companion, who's a young man who works at the nursing home, um, has kind of, like, a rocky relationship with his parents so there's like it's like it's humorous but it's not farcical like there's a lot Mm -hmm. everyone has a lot going on and sometimes those things are less than ideal so it's really kind of about them all sort of working through those things and helping each other through those things very strong found family um, which I think I said is like pretty typical of my writing in general now again set in the real world but magic exists openly so it's not hidden it's like you can go out your door and see a nursing home and also see a wizard and there are iPhones, <laughs> and you can magically enhance your cell phone, but not your iPhones because Apple won't let you. Because <laughs> so, I just, right. I right, I just <laughs> think that that's what would happen in real life if this were really possible. So that's kind of the world we're in, a queer normative world. Because personally, I viscerally hate coming out. I would much rather just casually talk about it and mm-hmm. be like, "Yes, as a queer writer." And then if someone's like, "Wait, you're queer?" I'm like, "Well, that's your problem that you didn't know that." <laughs> um, I viscerally hate coming out, and I wish I didn't have to, and that it was just cool to just be queer. So I write queer normative worlds um, and so this world is very much that way and it's uh, it's sort of normalized disability as well so Edna walks with a cane from it she has like a bad knee and she has um, a botched hip replacement she also has diabetes that she's got pills for and things like that there's also a character who is hard of hearing um, there's another character who it's not like named but has like chronic fatigue syndrome there's just lots of disability rep which is not often the case in fantasy I think because many able-bodied people tend to be like well if there was magic clearly everyone would just be cured and nobody would be disabled you know but for people who are disabled or neurodivergent we're like well we like to think we would still exist as we are and that that would be fine yeah and they don't have the typical fantasy world where everybody's strong and strapping and right yeah perfectly abled and yeah and i mean considering your main character is literally a little old lady it seems like a good world for this to be in (laughs) um so yeah so lots of disability and queer rep um and just normalized which is my favorite way to do that kind of thing um so that's something else you can expect from it i love it i'm looking forward to reading it as somebody who's come from a 12 year old essentially fan fiction writer to to now a novelist Mm -hmm. is there any inspiration or words of advice that maybe you wished you would have gotten earlier on 
Um, I don't know if I wish that I would have gotten it earlier on, only because I don't feel like it was necessarily lacking at the time, but I always go for Find Your Community. As you mentioned earlier, writing just feels very solitary because you are, it's you in front of a laptop or a journal or whatever. Mm. But I mean, not to like use a cliche, but it does take a village to, I mean, in terms of publishing a book quite literally, because you have all of the people doing cover design and the printing and the, all of the kind of professional pieces of it, Mm -hmm. but it really improves your writing to get that feedback from other people and to also give them feedback. It's really helpful if you're seeking publication to have those connections just to get information. Publishing, like I love this industry, I'm happy to be here, but it is a very terrible and like opaque industry and it is not transparent at all. And so having community offsets that a little mm-hmm. bit because everyone has some information that they can share. So that's really important. And then just also on those days where you feel really bad about your writing, it's really important to have people to just cheer you on or to tell you that, that is, it's okay to feel bad about your writing. Yeah, and to see other people feel that way too. And while here in, in Northwest Ohio in the Midwest, we might not have the big publishing houses. We definitely do have a lot of those smaller communities, tighter knit communities to sort of mm-hmm. you know kick us along along the way a little bit yeah I mean and if you need if you just need like accountability we definitely I think I'm aware of at least like three different groups that if you just need to go do some writing or get some feedback you can just go do that in person you know I love it I love it so we talked about the book we talked about your writing and things like that anybody who might be interested in finding out more or seeing more of Edna, where can they find you? Yeah, so while Remarkable Retirement is available um, mostly online, it's unlikely that you will see it in a print bookstore, but if you do, please post a picture on social media and tag (laughs) me in it. I love to see it. There's nothing quite like that, is there? I love to see it, and it is so rare for that to happen for me. But you can get it uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, again, probably not in-store, but online for sure, Walmart even, um, Books A Million, all those sorts of places. My website is elizmanderson.com, and that is also my social media handle on any platform I'm on. Uh, I used to be really active on Twitter, but not anymore. <laughs> We're going to be nuking the account probably by the end of this year, but you can keep up with me at that same handle. Um, I'm most active on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky. I'm also on Tumblr. Theoretically, I'm unspoutable, but I have not logged in since creating my account. Um, <laughs> who knows? Maybe eventually I'll like decide that that's the place. Um, I have kind of pulled back from social media overall since the demise of Twitter. I'm like, you know what? I just don't need to be on the computer that much. Um, but yeah, Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky, uh, and then my website are really just the best places to find me. And I try to keep them relatively updated with any recent news or anything like that. Beautiful. Well, we will have to take a look. And again, I thank you so much for, for stopping in and talking with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed it so much. This has been today's episode of Proud to be of Rust and Glass. Our conversation with E.M. Anderson is a good reminder that books don't just appear overnight. And authors aren't born. They're forged through hard work, grit, and deciding day in and day out to sit at the keyboard or set up the canvas to do what's required to cross that proverbial finish line. I am your host and producer, Curtis Dieter. Our executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer. If you want to join the conversation, check us out at wgte.org backslash rust and glass. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now go forth and create. WGTE. Voices around us.
WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.